Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. It is so great to have you here today. My name is John, one of the pastors here, and whether you are worshiping here in the room or online, a big hello and welcome to you this morning as well. The powerful play goes on, and you might contribute a verse. What will your verse be? Powerful, famous, impactful words from Professor John Keating. If you haven't seen the film, it's called Dead Poet Society, and it's been out for a few years. So no spoiler alerts today. Just this is what it is. Uh, In my opinion, one of the best films of all time. How many people have seen Dead Poet Society? Anybody out there? Okay, quite a few of you. So you know the film, you know the story. Professor John Keating comes and delivers this speech. and, And really what he does is create something brand new in this classroom that's never existed there before. And it's passion. It's passion that he, he draws out. And as I think about teachers and students, certainly as that time of year reminds me of the season that we're on the brink of, of moving into the fall now. Uh, thousands of students and teachers and uh, school administrators heading back into the classroom this week. Maybe some parents rejoicing that school is starting. Maybe some parents a little sad uh, about that. But regardless, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, uh, I did not want summer to end. Can you think back to your childhood for a moment? Didn't it just seem like summer was endless. Is anybody with me on that or was it just me? Okay, it just seemed like it went on forever and I wouldn't wear shoes and I'd eat about 12 freezy pops a day. You know what I'm talking about? And it just didn't matter and you just threw caution to the wind and then all of a sudden my parents said, oh, next week you start school again. I'm like, are you serious? I don't want to go back to school. You're going to have to drag me out of bed. I don't want to go back to school. I don't want to go back to the classroom. And that was the case for these students as well. They were going to this private college, these young men, and the last thing on their minds was having any fun and any enjoyment. And they didn't want to go back to school. They didn't want to go back to class because they were used to the same boring thing over and over and over. We're going to get out our books. We're going to read the introduction. We're going to do it like we used to. And then right before the scene that you saw, this professor named Mr. Keating comes in and says, rip it. Rip it out. Rip out the introduction. Because poetry is not a science. It's about passion. It's about love. It's about beauty. And if we're not careful, you and I will do the same thing to Christianity. Amen? We'll do the same thing to our faith. We'll forget the passion, the love, the joy, the beauty that's supposed to fill our hearts. And so everything changes from this boring, drab, going through the motions type of classroom until Professor Keating shows up. And he starts innovating. And he starts teaching in ways that are innovative and outside the box. And he brings passion and love and joy back into the classroom. Every single one of us were created for that. And I think as you watch over the storyline, the course of this movie, you'll see that Professor Keating creates some key elements that are the key to any great culture, especially any great classroom. And it's belonging... It's a place to grow, and it's a place to shine. Everybody say belong. Everybody say grow. Everybody say shine. Oh, say it like you mean it. Say shine. 
belonging, growth, and a place to shine. This is the key to what Professor Keating does, but I think it's bigger than that. I think all of us were created for that. I got a question for you as we start this morning. What if there was a classroom? What if there was a school that you could not wait to go to? Not, oh man, I hit my alarm clock three times. What if there was a classroom that not only you couldn't wait to get to, but the teacher, the classroom experience could literally change your life? Well, that type of culture, that type of classroom is available for every single one of us today, but it might not be where you think. You see, that classroom is your life and your teacher is none other than a rabbi from Nazareth. You see, back in Jesus' day, the teachers, a lot of the teachers of religious law were called rabbis. And what they would do is they would find the best of the best of the best in the Jewish educational system of the young men that were only allowed to get educated at that time. And they would find the best of the best and they would call them to be their disciples. Well, that word for disciples, if you go to the next slide, that word for disciples in the New Testament is methetes. Everybody say methetes. Now you learned your Greek for the day, so you can check that off the bat. Methetes literally means learner or student. So to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a student of Jesus. But what you got to know about the ways that rabbis led their disciples or their apprentices is that they would literally not sit in a classroom all day. Yes, they would have their information. They would have their teaching in the classroom, in the synagogue, or wherever it might be. But most importantly, those disciples would follow their rabbi around wherever they went. So much so that there was an old rabbinical saying, kind of a blessing, that one student would give to another student, that one disciple would give to another disciple as they literally followed that rabbi wherever they went. And it was this blessing, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. There was no roads back then. They were dust. They were rocks. They were gravel. And as you followed your rabbi wherever he went, the hope is is that the dust that kicked up from his sandals, that you would follow him so close they would fall onto you. May you follow your rabbi so closely, not sit in a classroom and listen to him lecture at you all day long, but you would reorient your entire life around your rabbi. And so when Jesus uses this word and we learn about the disciples in the New Testament, you should know that this word methetes is used 268 times in the New Testament. I think that Jesus is trying to get our attention. The word Christian is used three times. The phrase stuffy religious person, zero, just if you're keeping score uh, at home. That is not in there. So this should redefine what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. And I don't know where you're at today. One of the things I love about Hope Elam is all the new people, all the new faces that are coming. And that means that there's probably a lot of different church backgrounds coming in. A lot of different understandings of what what it means to be the church. But I just want to lay it out plain and simple today. There was a man named Jesus that called 12 ordinary men to follow him. And they ended up changing the world. Jesus did something powerful, and I believe that what Jesus did is he created a place of belonging, a place of growth, and a place for them to shine. This is how Jesus modeled that, and we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 4. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps on your phone, open up to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And the reason that we're starting here at the beginning when Jesus calls his disciples is this. Depending on your church background, it is possible to be a full-time church attendee and a part-time disciple if large areas of our life remain untouched by Jesus. Now, Jesus, I don't want you to be my rabbi. I'm not going to, like, follow you around in everyday life. I just want to come to church and get my little church fix and then go on with my life. Well, that's not the call that's been given to you and I. Look at Matthew chapter 4. We're going to pick it up at verse 18. 
One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Now, Jesus called out to them, and let's read the rest of verse 18 and 19 together nice and loud. Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Jesus is inviting every single one of us to go back to school with him this fall. Not just kids, not just kids that are students or teachers, every single one of us. And he's inviting you this morning into his classroom, but the classroom is not bricks and mortar. The classroom is your life. Every moment of every day as an opportunity to be formed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Some of you have seriously limited the power of Jesus when we try to put him in a little box and say, my discipleship, my spiritual growth is going to be what happens for an hour on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever you choose to worship. It's when I come to this place, when I come to this building, then I can be a disciple of Jesus. That's not what it means to be a disciple. Methetes, a pupil, a learner of Jesus is a 24-7 all-in kind of life. And that's what Jesus wants to offer you today, a place to belong a place to grow, and a place to shine. And the context is your everyday life. Let's take those one at a time. Number one, a place to belong. You you see, when Jesus called these disciples, he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he comes up, there's a lot of ways that Jesus could have started this relationship. Now imagine Jesus walking up and saying, guys, here's a a textbook about me. I want you to study up on your systematic theology here. Uh, You've started seminary now. So here you go, read up, and I'll be back in a couple years, and then we can talk about it. No, he didn't do that. Jesus didn't say, hey, I've got a top 10 podcast on iTunes. Uh, you guys should really tune in to my Jesus, uh, the actual, the real dot Jesus podcast. And you can tune into that and learn a little. He didn't do any of that. Jesus gave them access to his life. Without access, there is no belonging. And that's how Jesus created a sense of belonging. Some of you are struggling with a sense of belonging because you've never given anybody access to your life. Because there's so many walls, there's so many barriers that have been put up and insecurities and boundaries that you have, but you've never experienced the belonging that's on the other side of vulnerability. But belonging is what we were created for. And, and the thing is, is that belonging is couched in relationship. Jesus says, I want you to be with me. And that's true. Belonging and relationship go together, whether it's the workplace or your your social circle or your classroom or your family or your church. Belonging is couched in relationship. I got a glimpse of this a couple years ago. I was reminded this next week we're going to come up and go to the open houses for our kids as they go back to school. I remember a couple years ago, COVID kind of that's all fuzzy for me the last couple years because we didn't get to go. But it was either first or second grade for one of our children. We went to their open house and we were sitting there and we were listening to the teachers explain what kind of culture, what kind of classroom that they wanted to create. And they were talking about every day the kids come in and we do a little check-in. We do a little group time. We do a little family time. We share about how their night was or how their weekend was. And we listen and we respond and we snap and we clap for people. She said, the number one thing that we try to get accomplished with your children in the first two weeks is not to learn anything. <gasps> There's a bit, what? You're in school, right? Let's get the books open. She said, that's learning is going to come naturally. She said, the number one goal we have with your kids the first two weeks is that this is a place where they belong. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this for first and second graders and like going, well, I want that. 
Well, I think I'm created for that, right? Every single one of us, I think that's what we ultimately want. We want to know there is a place for me in my family, in my workplace, here at the church we long for that. I was thinking about, I remember this video that came out a couple years ago about a teacher in Charlotte, and he developed a pretty unique way of connecting with his students. It's one thing to be a teacher and convey information in a transactional way. It's another thing to be a true teacher and be transformational. And that's what happened in this classroom. Watch what happens as he takes a place to belong, a place to grow, and a place to shine to a whole new level. Check it out. How cool is that, huh? Okay, so here's the deal. New tradition at Hope Elam. I'm going to park myself by the door on the way out, and every single one of you will work on it, okay? It'll take us a few weeks, but we'll get that personalized. Some, you know, some of you, oh, that's so cute. Or some of you might say, oh, geez, isn't that a little over top for a teacher? Ask those kids if it's too much. Ask those kids, oh, is that cute? No, actually, I love coming to school because even though everything else in my life is falling apart, I know that I can go there and I belong. They're waiting for me. You know, sometimes we stand up here in announcements at the beginning of the sermon and we say, we believe it's no accident that you're here. We've been praying for you. We really have. And I want you to know that. I think that every single one of us longs for that. Not with just with a school teacher, but in our faith, with our Savior. And you have a God, you have a Savior that came to this earth and he says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And that's way deeper and way more powerful than a cool handshake. Jesus says, I call you friend. I created you, I know you, I know you better than anybody else. I have called you by name and you are mine. You belong with me. And when the church is at its best, we model that sense of belonging, not just on an individual basis with Jesus, but we model that belonging with each other. Amen? That is what the church offers when we are at our best. Paul puts it this way uh, in Romans chapter 12. Let's read this nice and loud together. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Everybody say belong. Belong. Paul says there's kind of two ways that you can view the Christian life. One is biblical, and one's really not. One is a little bit more American. One is a little bit more individualistic. One is a little bit more, I'm going to do it by myself. Either your view of church is there's a whole bunch of people, hundreds of people that showed up as individuals in this building this morning for worship and online, and that's what we are. We're just a bunch of individuals that have nothing to do with each other, and we just come, and we go through the motions, and we sing our songs, we pray our prayers, we listen to the sermon, and we go home. That's not the way the church is described in God's word. The way that the church is described is Paul says, you belong to each other. How deep is that connection? How deep is that belonging? As connected as your foot is to your ankle right now. I'm really glad it's connected. Have you thanked your ankle for holding on to your foot recently? Right? Have you thanked your elbow for holding on to the rest of your arm? Right? Your fingers to your hand? That connected. We are an actual body. We need each other. We are connected. Amen. We are the body of Christ. We are not a bunch of individual people showing up. We are connected, and that is how much we need each other. You are the body of Christ. It is one thing to be present. It is another thing to belong. 
And I will tell you there's people from time to time that I'll have a conversation with and they'll come up and they'll say, Pastor John, I love Hope Elam, but I just don't feel connected. I just don't feel close to anybody. Not all the time, but once in a while. And I'll just get inquisitive and I'll say, well, hey, what have you been doing? Like, well, I come to weekend worship, but there's just all these people. And I go, yeah, there is a lot of people. I say, and then what did you do? And they're like, well, nothing. I just come and, you know, everything's great. And then I go home. And I said, that might be why you don't feel connected. (laughs) Because you're showing up as an individual and leaving as an individual. I said, have you ever gone to a family reunion? Oh, yeah, everybody's been to a family reunion, right? We we know what that's like. When you go to a family reunion, do you know everybody personally? Absolutely not. But are you related to them? Yes, right? It's like Kristen said, we're like the Olive Garden. When you're here, you're family. Minus the breadsticks, but you get Jesus, okay? But here's the thing. When you go to a family reunion, you don't know everybody, but you're related. You're still connected. But when you go home, you go home with a smaller unit, with your nuclear family. In the church, that's called a small group. That's called men's ministry. That's called women's ministry. That's called the worship team. That's called the hospitality team or the production team. The smaller group of people that you know more intimately, that know you and you know about them. That's when church starts to feel like family. When you get connected, when you are a part of the body. Oh, that's great and everything, Pastor John, that the church offers all those things. But you see, you might say, I'm already connected. I have 2,457 friends on Facebook. And I've got even more followers on Instagram. And I have a growing TikTok following as well, Pastor John. I am set. I am connected. Are you? How's that going for you? And why is it? that we have more information than ever, we live in the most connected, interconnected society that has ever existed on the face of the earth, and yet loneliness and isolation and suicide and depression are at all-time highs. Maybe we're not as connected as we think, and maybe the type of belonging that you and I are looking for is not always just found on the other end of a mouse click or on scrolling through your phone, but in human face-to-face interaction. Who knows you? Who knows you, and where do you belong? I was listening uh, to something a while back from a, a seminary professor and former pastor, Terry Wardell, and what got my attention, he was speaking about a season of his life as he was approaching age 40. And he said, when I got to the end of my 30s and kind of looking into my 40s, a whole bunch of things started to shift spiritually for me in my life. And this got my attention because I'm right there. That's my season of life. And so he was speaking about this. And he had started a very fast-growing big church. And he was the president of a seminary. He'd accomplished lots of things and had a big following. And he said, in the, in the later stages and decades of my life, something shifted for me when it comes to relationships. And he says this, when I was younger... I just wanted to be well-known. I want to have a platform. I wanted everybody to know my name. But now I simply want to be known well. There's a shift from quantity to quality of relationship. He said, I want my wife and kids to know me well. I want to have a few good friends who know the real me. And rather than impressing a crowd, I really just want to be vulnerable in my speaking so that my audience knows me well. What if we spent less time trying to build a platform and more time being vulnerable with our weaknesses? Because for some of you, for all of us, the belonging that we long for is on the other side of vulnerability. And we have a culture that is deathly afraid of vulnerability. But if any place 
And if any group of people should be leading the way when it comes to a place of belonging, shouldn't it be the local church? A place where you have nothing to lose and nothing to earn and nothing to prove. We are a bunch of broken, imperfect people that come here every single week. Amen? You can clap for that. Absolutely. This is who we are. If you are looking for a perfect church, you're going to want to keep right on church shopping because we are not it. But if you are looking for a bunch of broken, imperfect men and women that are following Jesus with everything that we've got and trying to love each other really, really well, you found it. A sense of belonging. That is what the church does when we are at our best. And you can find that in the local church, a place to belong. But not just that. Let's not just talk about it. Let's do it. What does that look like? For some of you, it might be taking the new member class. For some of you, in a couple weeks here, it might be men's or women's ministry offered throughout the week. Revive, our ministry for young adults, if you're in your 20s and 30s, incredible things happening there. Kairos, our ministry uh, for college students, whether you're at Drake or Grandview or Simpson or DMAC, DMU, wherever you are, everybody's welcome to that starting next week on Tuesdays. Everything that we do as a church, you might notice, has a small group element to that. Why is that? Because we long to belong. And transformation takes place best in relationship. The times that I have grown the most in my life have been through relationship. Maybe it's one of those. Maybe it's community night. I don't know if you know this. If you're new to the church, we do something called a community night every Wednesday. We have a free hot meal from 5 to 6.30. We have worship. We have small groups. We have age-appropriate activities for your kids. All of that. And here's the thing. I'll let you in on a little secret behind the veil here. Community night is not really about the food. I know. How many of you had the food on Wednesday night, by the way? Give a little holler. Give a little woot-woot out there. Okay, gotcha. It's really good. It's not about the food. It, what, it's what happens on either side of the food. There is a reason that Jesus hung out and spent more time at dinner parties in his ministry than almost anything else. Why? Because in Jesus' day, eating together was a sign of friendship. What Jesus was doing when he hung out with all the people that nobody else wanted to hang out with is Jesus saying, this is how you do it. This is how you model ministry. This is how you be the church. Without access, there can be no belonging. What if, what if God wants you to come to community night next week, not for whatever you're going to get out of it, for what you might bring. For that person that you're going to look at that has not sat down with anybody as long as they can remember. It literally breaks my heart sometimes when I walk into the commons and I see people sitting alone. You better believe I'm sitting down there, I'm grabbing a staff member and say, go, right? Or I'm grabbing one of you saying, hello, this is your new best friend. Nobody should sit alone at church. Nobody should sit alone at community night. That's not who we are. This is a place of belonging, right? And if you don't know them, make a new friend. Go sit by them. You don't have to be best friends, right? What if it's about a sense of of belonging. It's so much bigger than that. I will tell you this, being a face in the crowd is comfy, but it will never satisfy your soul. And I don't know what has been modeled for you in church growing up, but it's got to be more than coming and going through the motions, as Professor Keating would say. Where's the passion? Where's the joy? Where's the love? Where's the belonging? Great classrooms have a sense of belonging, but they're also a place to grow. Everybody say grow. 
somewhere along the line we lose this because I see this in our kids. I see it when they get a few weeks into school and they get that sense of belonging and they start to learn new things. They literally come running and before I can say, hey, how was your first day at school? How was your day? They'll come and guess what I learned today? I learned this and we did this and I did that. I got in trouble with this and da, da, da. Okay, great. And we learn all these things and they're just so passionate about it. Somewhere along the line and it comes to our faith, we've lost that. And we develop this been there, done that, got the t-shirt kind of mentality when it comes to church, when it comes to our faith. Yeah, John, you know, I, I was really on fire when I was young and I first came to faith, but then, well, you know, I became an adult. And so we got to get serious now and we got to be productive. And I just kind of lost the joy. I just kind of lost the flame of learning a little bit. And that's fine, but that's not what you were created for. There is so much more. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter so he's talking about the, the, the picture of the church, and leading up to this, he starts in verse 11. He says, so Christ gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, in other words, the leaders of a local church, to do what? To equip his people for works of service, so that the body may be built up. So there's your belonging, so that the body, all of us, are functioning in a healthy way together, that we belong together, and then, verse 13, let's read it together, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What I love about Paul is he just comes right out and says it. What is the goal of our faith? To get here early and get a good parking spot to get breakfast and come to the 11 o'clock service. That is the goal. Not so much. The goal of our faith is becoming mature. How do we become mature? What does that look like? We become mature by attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, we are increasingly thinking, feeling, acting, loving, serving like Jesus. We develop the character, meaning the inner life of Jesus, and we develop the competency or the skills and the application and the living out of Jesus' life. We develop the character and the competency of Jesus. Spiritual growth is not measured by how long I've been a Christian, how many church services I attend, how many Bible studies I've led, or my physical age. Maturity in Christ is measured by, Paul says, one thing, attaining the full measure of of the person of Jesus Christ? Do I look more like Jesus? And who is that for? It is for until we what? All. Everybody say all. Everybody say all. Now turn to your neighbor and say, that includes you. Tell them that right now. That includes you. All includes all. That includes you. It's not just for those weird Christians that like join a small group. Who are these people? Like, they want to they hang out with these people more than an hour on Sunday morning? Like, they, they want to take a class? They want to, like, serve? Yeah, those kind of people. All. We have all been called to this. How do we then grow? How do we become more like Jesus? The problem is, is that we live in a world that is saturated with information. There is more information in the palm of your hand or in your pocket on your smartphone right now than has ever existed in the course of human history before. It is all there for you. And there are blogs, and there are podcasts, and there are articles, and there are sermons from any pastor on the face of the earth that you can pull up and listen to on demand. It's the Netflix of following Jesus, I tell you what. It's all right there. The problem is, you can't consume your way to maturity. It's great, and you can learn a lot, 
But the problem with that model and calling that Christian growth is, number one, psychologically, as human beings, that's not how adults learn. And number two, that's not how Jesus did it. Let's unpack that for a second. Why does it have to be more than just consuming? There have been entire books, entire series of books written about adult learning theory. And for those of you that are teachers or are professors, any of that, you know this way better than I do. But to summarize adult learning theory, it's this. How do we learn? 10% of how we learn is what I'm doing right now. I accept that. Lecture and teaching. You are going to forget about 98% of what I said this morning. I'm okay with that. I've realized that, okay? And that's why I'm going to preach my guts out about relationships. That's why I'm going to preach about getting involved and applying your faith because it is not just hearing about it that it's going to make it stick. 20% relationship. When you have mentors, when you have coaches. We went around the table a couple weeks ago as pastors and leaders of all the campuses and we talked about what were the key instigators of your faith? How did you grow? These are pastors and leaders in your church. Every single person mentioned a coach, a teacher, a mentor, a discipler, a choir director, somebody at a church, somebody that took the time to invest in them. Relationship, relationship, relationship makes it stick. You want to know the greatest way that you learn? Doing it. 70% by applying it. How are you going to get this sermon to stick? By going this week and doing it. By living it out. Parents, you know this. When your kid was learning how to walk, did you hand them a, a manual and say, this is how you walk, read it, right? How do they learn how to walk? Down, up again, down, up again, right? How do we learn how to follow Jesus? Trip and fall, get back up again. Trip and fall, get back up again, okay? This church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners, amen? That's what it means to follow Jesus. So this is not about perfection. Now, remember this when I show you the next triangle. This is how adults learn. This is how Jesus taught the disciples. Jesus' primary method of discipleship was with 12 ordinary guys. Yes, there was information and teaching. Some, in larger crowds, to the multitudes, in the synagogues. But Jesus knew if the information was really going to stick, it would be imitation. Everybody say imitation. What does that mean? Access. Without access, there is no belonging. Jesus said, come follow me. You can't be what you can't see. Paul picks this up later in the epistles. He says, whatever you have seen and heard from me, pass this on to faithful men and women that can replicate that out. That is the power of discipleship. We're interested in multiplication and imitation. And yet then what did Jesus do? Did he wait for the disciples to have it all figured out? Did they have to sit through 200 sermons before they could go and do ministry? Absolutely not. He said, go, <laughs> preach the good news, heal the sick. Serve the poor, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, cast out demons. Go do it. Go live it out. Go innovate with the information that you have heard and seen in me and go do it. And they change the face of the earth. Jesus says, you will do greater things than I have done. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says, and now I'm giving it to you. Amen? That same power lives in you. The problem is for a lot of us, most of our adult Christian lives will be stuck here. And we sell ourselves short and we wonder why don't we don't feel closer to God and we wonder why that relationship isn't deeper. Because we've stayed in an attitude of consumption. I said it once and I'll say it again. You cannot consume your way to maturity. Our world would love to sell you that lie. Five easy steps to this. Seven easy steps to that. Ten easy steps to that. You cannot consume your way 
to maturity. James puts it this way, James chapter 1. Let's read it together. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Pretty clear. We're working in our household a lot these days on listening the first time. And Tiffany has been very patient with me on this. She's trying to get me to listen. Just kidding. We have two young children, and our young daughter, I love her uh, a lot. Everly has a hard time listening, and usually we listen on try number four. So, Evie, go do this. Evie, go do this. Evie, go do this. Finally, on step three or four, she finally gets it. And so this is not so much of a hypothetical, set of, hypothetical situation, but it could be. Let's just say that as her leader, as her teacher, I'm giving her the information of, Evie, I'm teaching you this. I would like you to go clean your room right now. And let's say for 10 minutes she disappears and she comes back. And I say, well, that was quick. Did you clean your room? And she said, no, I didn't. But I got this book from the library, and it's a book on how to clean your room. And I've read it from cover to cover. Did you actually go do what I asked you? No, well, no, but I read it. Okay, great. Well, let's try it again. Evie, go clean your room. And she goes back, and for a couple hours, then she comes back. And I said, honey, is your room clean? Well, no, but daddy, here's what I did. I, I invited a whole bunch of my girlfriends over, and we got together, and we actually did a little Bible study of what it would look like if I actually cleaned my room. We didn't actually do it, but we had a great discussion about what that would look Did No, I didn't actually clean it. Go clean your room, okay? A couple hours later, she comes back. Oh, good, you finally cleaned your room. No, actually, but daddy, I learned how to say go clean your room in the Greek and the Hebrew, believe it or not, and so we did a in-depth, okay, you get the picture, right? No! The point is to go do it. And yet some of us will live our Christian lives like that. You cannot consume your way to maturity. James says, go and do it until we have all been formed in the image of Christ. My challenge to you today, take in the content, take in the information. Who knows you well enough to challenge you to live it out? What would it look like if every man... And every woman at Hope Elam was in a discipling relationship where you had somebody that you could rub shoulders with. The book of Proverbs talks about this in chapter 27, 17. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. For that sharpening to take place, there has to be close proximity. You have to be doing life together. In order for sharpening to happen, you both have to be sharp, and so you can help each other in that way. That's how your knives don't become dull in your kitchen, right? Iron sharpening iron. It's the same way with the Christian life. So here's the moral of the story. If you don't want to be dull, find some friends, right? The quickest way to live a dull life is to live it alone. And the, most, the times of growth that I've had in my life that the most is when I'm not doing Christianity alone. What does that look like for you to grow? It might be our Alpha class, a great beginner course, the foundations of Christianity, or a refresher. If you change, if you come in from another church, you're wondering what we're all about, Alpha is a great place to start. Let Prayer Change Your Life is literally a class called Let Prayer Change Your Life, and it has changed some people's lives when it comes to prayer. A pressure-free, guilt-free, really awesome class that starts September 28th, or small groups. Men's, women's, couples, young adults, college, as we talked about earlier. Why small groups? Because it's there we can sharpen each other. There we learn from each other. Jesus invites us to have a place to belong, a place to grow, and finally a place to shine. One of the things that our kids love doing is when they have the open house is that we'll go to the school and the joy and the pride in their lives to say, look at what I did. Look at what I did. Because they found a place to express themselves, to shine. And the best teachers know that. And they do that. And that's what it means to be the church as well. 
to find your place, to play your part, to be called, to be a part of the body of Christ in that way. And I could not help about think about a place to shine, about being called. And if you weren't here last week, I'm so excited that I'm going to say it again, that as of a couple weeks ago, Dr. Brian Brown accepted the call to be our next minister here at Hope Elam. And we could not be more excited about that. And so next weekend at both of our services, Dr. Brown is going to be installed. And that's just a fancy church word of saying called to a place. When a pastor or a ministry leader is called to a place, there is a formal installation. You have been called to serve by God in this place. And I was thinking about that going, well, wait a minute. Why does Brian get to have all the fun? I think we should install all of you. No, we won't do that. That would be crazy. But if you think about it, every single one of you have been called to a place, haven't you? And I would be remiss if on this weekend before everybody heads back to school to say, uh, just the teachers have a classroom. You have a classroom. You have a sphere of influence. You have a context. You have a calling. You have a place to shine, to be a part of the body of Christ. We need you to shine in the way that God has created you to shine. That might be under your own roof. I've said it once and I'll say it again. Parents, Grandparents, especially if you don't work outside the home, if you definitely work inside the home, which is more than a full-time job of raising kids or helping with uh, grandkids, whatever that may be, the most significant thing that you do in your life might not be something you do. It might be someone you raise. Don't undersell that calling. It might, the discipleship that you're called to might start under your own roof. It might be in a classroom. It might be at your workplace. It might be at the soccer or the football field this fall, wherever that is. Every single one of us is called to a place, not just pastors and ministers. Oh, we're going to celebrate next weekend. Absolutely. We are so excited to have Dr. Brown coming, but it's about us as the body of Christ living out that calling together. I was having coffee with one of our awesome volunteers that's a member of the church here this last week down at Mars uh, Coffee Shop, and we were just talking, and I just looked at him and I said, thank you so much for serving. He serves with our transportation ministry that runs during our early service that had close to 50 people here today that provide that, that got here that wouldn't have otherwise, right? Pick up a variety of different shelters. And, and, and I just said, without you, think about all those people that wouldn't have had a chance to, to come to a worship service today. And we sit at home and go, ah, 9 or 11 today. Do I really want to get out of bed? There's people that are standing and waiting for the Hope bus to pick them up so that they can come and worship. And I said, thank you for serving in this way. And his response was, John, what an honor and what a privilege it is to serve my brothers and sisters in Christ in that way. Thank you, so, thank you for the opportunity to serve. Something had shifted in him because he found his place to shine, where he comes alive, that God created him to serve in that way. And serving had moved from a got to to a get to. I get to serve. Not a I should, but I get to. God wants to make that shift in your heart today. A place to belong, a place to grow, and a place to shine. And that is the type of classroom that Dr. John Keating created in this movie. You saw the opening scene, and now I want to show you the final scene. You see, over the course of the movie, he created this culture and these conditions, and yet there was some scandal at the school, and Professor Keating uh, wrongly was accused of some things that he did not do and has been fired. He's been let go. He's been relieved of his job. And yet these young men are so (laughs) tied to him because of the transformation 
that he's made in their lives, the impact that he's made on them. And when the former teacher comes back and tries to lecture the same old ways and just go through the motions, you can tell it's not the same. Take a look at this final scene as Professor Keating is picking up his belongings and leaving. And you tell me that we were not created for a place to belong, a place to grow, and a place to shine. Take a look. I don't know if you can tell, but there is some fire and some passion in the eyes of those young men because they finally found someone worth following. Not just listening to the words that came out of his mouth, but watching the passion and the joy and the love in which he lived. And this fall, Jesus is calling every single one of us to stand up, to say, oh, captain, my captain, my savior and my Lord, Jesus, I can't stay seated any longer because you put a fire in my belly and I wanna follow you with everything that I've got. I can't keep it to myself anymore. There's a fire and a passion in their eyes of a young man that has been transformed. And Jesus wants to do the same thing with every single one of us this fall. I love you, I created you, and I've made a place for you, Jesus said, to belong, to grow, to shine. And it's living out your faith in relationship with other people, and it's called the body of Christ, the local church, and we don't always get it right, and we are not perfect. But man, you were created for this. You were made for this. As he says at the beginning of the film, the powerful play goes on. And you may contribute a verse. You get to contribute a verse. You get to play your role in the body of Christ. What will your verse be? God says you belong here. That same rabbi named Jesus comes and looks you in the eyes this morning and says, you're with me. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove it. You don't have to be good enough this fall. I've already chosen you. You belong with me, and I love you too much to let you stay where you are. You've been called to grow. And finally, I put a light inside of you, not to hide it, but to let it shine. Jesus wants you to go back to school with him this fall, and it could just change your life forever. Amen? Amen. Let's not stay seated. Don't stand on the pews, but you should stand up as the worship team leads us in worship. Let's worship together. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.